the core part was the European Green Deal. With our investments in renewable energy, this makes finance essential in green transition. Fiscal policy has three critical roles to play in the transition. Move the policy dialogue forward on green finance and investment. Talking about the green transition is all good and well. The big elephant in the room though, who is going to finance a green transformation of our economies and societies? Boiling it down to the essence, do we do it through public or private hand? At the macro or European level, this can be translated into critically assessing the role and impact of two types of actors or sets of rules, the European fiscal framework and financial markets. So here it comes. How are the European fiscal framework and financial markets backing up the green transition in Europe? And are they actually? Hi, my name is Gail Rago, and this is the Böll Europe podcast, the podcast of the Heinrich Böll Stiftung European Union office in Brussels. All right, to answer these gigantic and very complicated questions, we decided to bring into the show two scholars from the network of the Heinrich Böll Stiftung, who recently wrote about these topics, Frank Leverin and Caroline Sissoko. Frank van Leerven is Senior Economist and Program Lead Macroeconomics at the New Economics Foundation. He is currently leading NEF's work on greening central banks and monetary policy and specializes in issues related to money, finance and banking. Carolyn Sissoko is a Senior Lecturer in Economics at the University of the West of England. Carolyn holds a PhD in Economics from the University of California, Los Angeles. Her research focuses on shadow banking, central banking policy, and the legal foundations of financial collapse. Carolyn, Frank, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Frank, first thing, let's bring our audience on the same level. What is the European fiscal framework and why is it so important in the context of the green transition? So essentially... The European fiscal framework is a set of policies or rules that European member states kind of have to abide by to be part of the European Union. And these are called fiscal rules. And most prominently, there's two sets of rules that are worth mentioning. And this is having a debt to GDP ratio of 60%. Now, that means that a country's overall debt stock should not be more than 60% the size of the economy overall. And then the second important rule to mention is what's called the deficit rule. And that means that effectively it's 3% of GDP should not be borrowed more every year. And these rules are basically enshrined into what's called the Stability and Growth Pact. They're part of the European Treaty. So in terms of why it's important to a green transition, we have a half a trillion worth of green investment that we need to do pretty much every single year until 2030. Now, there's some plans to kind of fill this. There's what's called the Green Deal, and there's the European Recovery Mechanism, and they're basically trying to get more spending and borrowing to fill that investment gap. 
both through the private sector and the public sector. Now, problematically, they only have plans to fill a third of that investment that I just mentioned. So there's still two thirds of investment missing. And that can't come from the European level. That needs to come from national member states or at the national level. There's a role for the public sector and the fiscal rules are too tight and narrow, basically, for us to kind of fill those investment needs. In your paper, Frank, you are quite critical of the setup of the European fiscal framework. Why is that? And will the European fiscal framework be ready for the game as it stands? When you think about the European fiscal framework, probably one of the main fundamental things that I think is why it's flawed again is these numbers were basically completely arbitrarily designed. There's no necessarily important debt stock or level of borrowing that is necessarily harmful. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's also based on this ideologically driven idea that all borrowing and higher levels of debt are bad. But the truth of the matter is, it's not clear whether all borrowing or debt leads to less growth, or if it's less growth that eventually leads to higher levels of borrowing. The stability and growth pact, so to speak, was built on the idea that we needed to reduce government debt levels and reduce government borrowing. And it has effectively failed on its own terms, especially after the aftermath of the financial crisis. There was this huge reduction in spending as households could not borrow and banks were no longer willing to lend. And there was this huge cut then in government spending because we had to bail out the banks. Now, as governments start to cut their spending alongside the private sector cutting their spending, there was less income, less growth. And if economic activity has fallen, then your tax base falls, which then means you have to borrow more. At the same time, if more people are unemployed or have no jobs, then the government also then has to kind of put out more benefits and welfare costs start to go up. It's exactly the opposite of what these rules were designed to do. And I mean, the European Commission knows this, most members of parliament knows, and, and even the most frugal countries, whether that's Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark, Finland, and so forth, they know this too. What's possibly more of a concern right now is how do we change the treaty? We have the power to change them, but because of treaties and politics, it's very difficult now. And we need to kind of think about really where are the goals? What, what is it that society needs the most? Start with a blank sheet of paper and work back from there. Fair enough. Let me come now to you, Carolyn. When we talk about money in our economic systems, it is impossible not to think about financial markets. So same question to you. What are the key characteristics of our contemporary financial system and why are they important in the context of financing the green transition? Well, the key characteristics of our modern financial systems are really oriented around the fact that we have deeply ingrained instability that affects our sovereign debt markets, first of all, and from that affects the financial markets more broadly. We have the problem that an episode of instability can derail the green 
transformation, the way that we have of dealing with these episodes of instability is typically for the central bank to step in and buy the assets whose prices are falling, including private sector assets, and effectively supporting the wealth of people who are already wealthy. And so there's a danger to the green agenda that financial instability pours over to socializing the losses and uh, privatizing the gains. So one of my arguments is that we really need to tackle the underlying problem with financial markets themselves. Otherwise, their built-in dysfunction is likely to derail the green agenda. That's really helpful context. Thanks, Carolyn. And I really appreciate how you've linked up distrust of policy with how that affects inequality and ultimately that link to financial markets. So I think that's really interesting as background. Similarly to Frank's analysis of the European fiscal framework, you've brought a critical approach to the understanding of the intersection between the financial markets and the state's capacities to finance the green transition. So are our financial markets fit for becoming a positive tool to foster the transition? And if so, why or why not? I think we need to take steps to stabilize the financial markets. And this requires fundamental reform and in particular, reform of the sovereign debt markets to limit this practice we have right now of borrowing on a very, very short-term basis against longer-term debt. But then there's a completely separate second issue that I think also needs to be addressed. And when we ask, are our financial markets suited to finance the green transformation, One of the uh, typical responses that we hear that's sometimes called the Wall Street consensus is this idea that what the government should be doing to promote finance of green activities is de-risking private investment in green activities. De-risking is typically another form of subsidizing uh, wealthy investors. It just seems like a much more practical way of handling this transformation is for the government to issue its own sovereign debt and to go ahead and engage in these projects itself. And then we can have these investors investing in the government. Are our financial markets suited to supporting a green transformation? The answer is that uh, we need financial reform. Before we move on with the interview, just a couple of key data points to better understand why this chat with Frank and Carolyn about the European fiscal framework and financial markets is so relevant. The key concept to take note of is the green investment gap. The green investment gap can be defined as the difference between current environmental and climate expenditure and level of expenditure required to reach various environmental and climate targets and objectives. Now, did you know that the European Commission's most recent estimate of the green investment gap is 520 billion euros per year? However, the European Commission's own research 
suggests that making building energy efficient by 2050 could require up to 490 billion euros annually. And other estimates suggest annual investments of up to 855 billion euros, excluding transport, in the EU27 could be required to tackle climate change alone. All in all, this means there is a very good cause to believe that the European Commission is vastly underestimating both the scale and timeliness of investments that are needed. So, so far, we've learned that both the European fiscal framework and our financial markets are not fit for purpose. However, what can be done about it? Frank, let's start from you again. Sure. So I need to caveat everything that I say. First of all, we need to tax more. We need to definitely tax wealthier kind of people. And we probably need to think about how we can also mobilize private finance. And my view is that this As good as those reforms are, there still needs to be other reforms, both to make sure that all people are, that nobody's left behind. There's a role for the state, primarily because we can't just leave things to the private sector, because if you leave everything to a profit-orientated private sector, there will be lots of people left behind by this industrial transition. Now, a few different types of ideas that we should think of. One of them is what's called a green golden rule. What that means is that all green investment would be exempt from these narrow deficit and borrowing targets. But there are still some flaws with that type of proposal. First of all, it doesn't include social expenditures that are very current expenditure. And we cannot think about environmental breakdown and the green transition without considering the social side. There's a second part to that, which is that green investments require maintenance. As time goes by, we can make all these really nice green investments, but they'll degrade over time if you don't have a more kind of flexible current expenditure framework. And the other part to this is that from a macroeconomic standpoint, you want to make sure that the government is spending as much in the economy to make sure that employment levels are at their, what I call full capacity or what others have called full capacity utilization. So one idea would be effectively having kind of a green investment budget that is kind of unlimited and is constrained by the level of employment and the level of wages. And so it's basically guided by, instead of having these arbitrary debt levels and numbers that were designed in 1990, the kind of rules would be shaped around people's wages, people's employment levels. Thanks, Frank. I hear a lot of interesting parallels between what both you and Carolyn have mentioned, especially in terms of financial markets and its links to social inequalities, which I find very interesting. Carolyn, instead, when it comes to restructuring the financial markets, you point at a number of options. I know financial terminology can easily become complicated, but what are the main avenues or options for the restructuring of financial markets that are fit for backing up a green transition or transformation? All right, we're going to need to limit the practice of borrowing against longer term debt or against bonds in 
a way that is very short term and tends to promote liquidity crises. So I think the key thing is reforming what we call repo markets, to use a little bit of jargon. At the same time, in order to really focus on the aspects of the green transformation, it's going to be important for governments to step in and set the green and dirty standards for financial assets so that we have um, clear classifications that central banks can then follow and implement when they are participating in financial markets or when they are accepting collateral against loans. Let us end with bringing a couple of quotes directly from your research papers into this podcast. So I'd like you to comment or elaborate on this quote, Carolyn. The question, what is the role of financial markets in a green transformation, needs to be restated. What is the role of the state in making sure that our financial markets can support a green transformation? Yes. So I think we need to recognize that the first role of the state in supporting a green transformation is issuing its own public debt to finance its own green agenda and to recognize that the best use of private sector funds is investment in that government debt that is financing the green agenda. We don't necessarily need private sector finance to step in and fund a green transformation. It is completely within the capacity of our governments to fund a green transformation. And we should be thinking of the private sector as buying government debt that is going to go into doing the green transformation as opposed to having the state step back and act as a de-risker for some kind of private-driven agendas. It's the governments that can sit down and worry about the public interest, and we can't expect private financiers to do that. Amen. Thank you so much, Carolyn. And I really hope that governments do heed this very important and basic kind of advice. Frank, this one comes from your paper. Fiscal rules are built around the notion that a government should balance its books and reduce public debt levels in an economic upswing to supposedly create more space to borrow in the event of a crisis. However, given the environmental crisis is a structured issue with permanent effects rather than a temporary one with side effects that can be remedied, cumulative preemptive spending and investment will be necessary over the short, medium and long term. An excellent example of this is what's happened in Germany. For a long time, Germany has had a fiscal rule that kind of says no borrowing. We shouldn't borrow. It's called Schwarzer Null. And in 2014, Barack Obama said to the Germans, hey, you guys should think about investing more in energy and green energy so that you have less reliance on Russia. Now, in Germany, they said, no, we don't want to do that. We have this really important rule. We don't want to borrow to make these investments. It's important to save the fiscal space for when things go bad. Now, we're in this time, we didn't make those investments. And there's this huge talk about how do we reduce our reliance on Russia? 
And that would have been an excellent time for Germany to have made those investments, not least because interest rates in Germany were at zero, if not negative levels. So that's what we're saying when this idea about temporary and permanent and how to respond to certain crises and the environmental crisis being a permanent one. And it's not, you can't just think about boom and bust cycles in macroeconomic sense. Thank you both, Carolyn and Frank, for taking us through this complex topic and also for using very contemporary examples, especially since we are now in the midst of this pandemic still and with the Russian war. So really appreciate that. And thank you also for being the first people to be interviewed in this podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. And this was it for the first episode of the Bull Europe podcast the podcast of the European Union office of the Heinrich Böll Stiftung in Brussels. Before we say goodbye, just a few more details about the work of Frank and Carolyn. You can read their papers on the role of the European fiscal framework and financial markets on the website of the Heinrich Böll Stiftung European Union at eu.boell.org. That's eu.böll.org. Their papers go under the title of Changing Europe's Fiscal Rules, Unleashing Public Investment for a Socially Just Green Deal and the Role of Financial Markets in a Green Transformation. Both papers are part of a special dossier called Making the Great Turnaround Work, Economic Policy for a Green and Just Transition. Spoiler alert, we will come back to this special dossier again in a future episode of this podcast. So that's really it. Until the next episode, take care and goodbye.